Before we begin, I'd just like to remind you that this episode is also available as a video. So if you'd like to check out myself and Andy in all our uh, glory, then head over to youtube.com forward slash at Pottywood. Okay then, let's get to cracking on with this. Hello everybody and welcome once again to Pottywood. We're back for series 6. Yes, because you can't keep a good pair of blokes down. But it's not just us this season. We've also got our two new co-hosts, Joanne and Jonas. But you're going to be hearing more from them in the later episodes. For now, let me introduce myself. I am one of your co-hosts, Steve Hester. And joining me as always is Andrew Roger Carson, because he complains that I never introduce him. So hi, Andrew. You'll find I don't complain about that till next week. But fair enough. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, no. Well, thank you for that warm introduction uh, in season 6.1, I guess. Yes. Um, yeah. Pottywood is back. And uh, we have recorded a few episodes up front. And uh, this being one of them, but you will notice uh, the next episode we have, uh, Joanne will be uh, co-hosting it with myself and... I was incredibly ill. There was yes. Um, you looked like you'd seen a really, really bad film and was regretting it. Oh God, I've seen a few of them, but uh, <laughs> no, um, I'm just recovering now. So we're luckily we're, we're getting this one out. So I still look kind of a bit palish and like I haven't been out because I haven't. Um, no, but you need I to get in the sun. Yeah, I am here. We've got a new series, and we're going to take the money and run. And speaking of taking the money and run, Steve. Oh, yes. We've got to open this episode with something that's been waiting for God knows how long. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, this, this has to be in the pipeline for about the last month and a half of one thing and another because we've had a break and then we've had a couple of other shows that we've recorded in the meantime, plus it's predating the end of the last series that we did. So, yeah, this is... uh, Let's sound the 2007 alarm. It is... Joel and Ethan Cohen's No Country for Old Spice. Men. (laughs) No Country for Old Men, yes. Uh, As you can see, um, this film has been out a long time, but Steve had never seen it. Before no, recently. no, but it was on my to-watch list. Now, you, you've pulled out a lot of movies over the time that we've been doing this, and I've either never heard of them, never wanted to see them, or they've just kind of not really filtered into my wheelhouse. This is actually one which I have been wanting to see for a while, but I've just never got round to it. So I was looking forward to this, but before I get into this movie, I just want to say one thing right off the bat. I Fucking love the Coen brothers. Aren't they? Uh, Oh my god. Majestically perfect. It was Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, The Big Lebowski, Barton Fink, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Just all the. They're they're fan. 
bloody-tastic. I love them. They have just, just this incredible pacing to it the acting is usually dynamite they they spare no expense getting just the right cast for the for the roles and just everything is done with just this wonderful it, it's like hyper realism but grounded yes. hyper realism that is a statement that makes no sense but it's the only way that i can think of to describe these things like the big lebowski for example isn't a realistic film yeah, everything kind of feels grounded for one bit. It's hyper in another, and it has this wonderful mesh. And I don't honestly think I've seen a Coen Brothers movie that I haven't liked. No, it's it's really hard to find a terrible Coen Brothers movie. There aren't any. Yeah. There are ones that don't hold up to oh, the yeah, other. There are, there are weaker ones than respect. others, yeah. But the Coen Brothers... They are so confident in what they're doing. I don't think anyone would ever dare touch them. No, I think they are free to just make the movies they want to make, and more on them, uh, more on them. But anyway, uh, yes. you finally got around to seeing uh, this version of uh, Conrad McCormack. McCormack's is it McCormack yes. or McCarthy? <laughs> I fucking got it wrong. It's Cormac McCarthy. Thought so. Yes, Cormac McCarthy. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, first of all. Great cast. You've got Tommy Lee Jones as an old school sheriff. You've got uh, Josh Brolin as a guy called Llewellyn Moss who finds a uh, uh, a uh, like a, a drug deal that's gone wrong in the middle of the desert. Most of the people involved are dead, apart from one guy who was alive in a car. And then he tracks uh, another guy that ran off to a shady spot and finds this great big bag full of money. But what he doesn't realize is that in this bag, there is all kinds of trouble because there is a shady company uh, that wants the money back, that wants the drugs, and they have employed the devil himself, Anton Chigger. Oh, career-defining performance. Just, oh, goose-bumping-dutingly, indutingly, inducingly, by Javier Bardem, who is just... One of, if not the most terrifying villains I've ever seen on screen. Simply because that he is not your Hannibal Lecter kind of uh, raving madman going <laughs> in, in, in behind a shed. No, he is cold. He is charming as well. He is sadistic, but he is totally unpredictable. He is relentless. He's like the Terminator. Yes. In what he does. And he's tracking down this suitcase full of money, which has a tracker in it. That becomes an important part. Uh, actually, no, before we get any further on spoilers, if you've not seen it, just fast forward ahead a bit. Um, and he comes head to head a number of times with Llewellyn. And one thing that I do want to say, and I haven't read the book, and I understand it is pretty close to the book from what I hear, um, but... I don't think that there is a stupid character in this film. Maybe Llewellyn could be labelled a bit stupid for letting his conscience get the better of him at the beginning, but the fact is every single step that every character takes within this movie is an intelligent one. It doesn't feel like anything is made purely reactionary. There's a scene where Llewellyn is trying to hide the case, and he doesn't just put it in a ventilation duct. He gets some string, ties it around the handle to the case, gets a pole, shoves the case into and down to one side, 
this ventilation duct and tucks the cable out of one out of sight. Which you wouldn't think of, you just, oh, throw it in there, but that's the first place that you look. He tucks it away out to one side. He sees a car and then thinks, oh, I need to be careful here, and then gets a taxi driver to drive off and take him to another hotel for the night. It's smart things like that. And Anton Chigo is exactly the same. He's very, very calculating. He's very, very deliberate. And he's constantly thinking about what is going to happen next. So there aren't any stupid leaps of logic. There's nothing really which makes you go, Oh, for God's sake, why did he do that? It Everything works up to a point and it doesn't really all get turned on its head until his mother-in-law blows the whole thing towards the end of the movie. But that is entirely out of his his command. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's... It's an astonishingly good film. It's a very, very tense film. There's virtually no music throughout the whole thing. Everything is just played with uh, the the natural soundtrack to the film, which makes it even more tense. There is no trying to amp up the tension. It is just stillness and silence and long, drawn-out pauses, which you can feel the ratchet tightening every single second as it goes on throughout a scene waiting for that just moment where the spring is going to snap and the jack-in-the-box is going to burst out i i loved it i thought this was great uh not too keen on the ending but we will kind of touch on that in a bit i think um i just want to give a few mentions though because this did come out in 2007 Grand Theft Auto V came out in 2013. Yes. And there are a number of things in there that are direct references to the film. First of all, if you're driving down one highway, you can find a recreation of the little scene where the cartel is having the drug deal. And there's just a yes. circle, of, circle of vans with some bodies. And then if you do pick up the suitcase, then you do get chased and shot at, which is a nice little touch. Also, I think one of the trucks in that little circle is very, very similar to the character of Trevor's truck. It's like a red yes. pickup truck with big headlights on the top. But then again, that's America. They got these big pickup trucks with the headlights on the top here. Um, getting very, very quickly back to the cast. Tommy Lee Jones doesn't really do much throughout the overall movie. He's a kind of a sounding board throughout it for some of the other characters and kind of bookends the story with his own take on things. Uh, well, one of the big surprises was Woody Harrelson kind of pops up halfway through as another bounty hunter slash mercenary kind of guy who's warning uh, this shady organization that they shouldn't have taken Chigger on. And he kind of comes into the story and then goes just as quickly. Um, and I was actually quite surprised that he didn't have much more to do in it. But uh, I, I, could, I could really could just go on and on and on singing this movie's praises until the cows come home but we haven't got that much time no i really enjoyed it i knew you yeah. would uh, yeah. i knew you would i had a feeling uh for quite a while that you would enjoy this film it's, it's above uh perfection work for ethan and joel cohen yeah and for kind of new movie comers who may not have seen a lot of the older stuff from back in the early 2000s, who've kind of only got into cinema within the last 10 years. You know, John Ethan Cohen, they may have seen uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, uh, which is awesome. 
inside Llewellyn Davis, which is also awesome. That's uh, what I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah, A Serious Man, uh, The Burn Tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah. Hail and Caesar. Hail Caesar. And they're all amazing films. But the yeah. older you go back with the Coens, you find just defining cinema that everyone loves. And this is one of them. And this followed a time where people were a little bit uncertain about the Coen brothers. They thought they were on the career downswing because they had Intolerable Cruelty, which I personally think is a great movie, but it didn't do as well. And then following that, they had uh, the remake of The Lady Killers, which also didn't do as well as most of us. Yeah, that didn't do well. They are really great movies. Uh, And then this movie comes and just blows everything out Mm. of the water in 2007. Uh, including what I feel is is just an equal movie from that year, which I don't believe you've seen, which is probably in the box as well, uh, There Will Be Blood. No, uh, I haven't seen that one, no. Which, funnily enough, was being filmed at the exact same time, only a couple of miles away from No Country for Old Men. Right, so the Coens were, were drinking his milkshake then, were they? I'm guessing so, but I can tell you what they were doing. Um, production had to be halted one day on No Country for Old Men because a huge black cloud of smoke was appearing in the sky in the background and it was from a shooting day on There Will Be Blood when the actual uh, oil tower goes on fire. Right. So that's okay. how close they were. Um, we, we mentioned uh, Anton Chigurh, of course, uh, that role is now so iconic, and so is that haircut, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it has been labelled uh, by Business Insider, funnily enough. They run um, a bunch of polls, and apparently that performance is the most clinically accurate portrayal of a psychopath. Yeah, I can believe it. I can believe it. it, it and it, it, for those of you who are interested, a psychopath is different from a sociopath. A sociopath doesn't know that they're being a dick. Yes. Whereas a psychopath does know that they're being a dick and just doesn't care. There is a difference. Uh, um, I think that the best scene you could ever put out there, and we'll just include this here, the gas station scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was that was the scene that I saw first um, in its entirety. And it is, yet again, no music. But it just builds up and builds up and builds up and you know that it's, it, it's almost like Chigger's wanting the man to give him a reason just give me a reason give me a reason I'll kill you right now without a sweat on my brow just give me a reason for it and and it, you, you can you can feel his heartbeat going up but then there's that bit where he says no don't put it in he gives him the coin and says no don't put it in your pocket or it'll become a coin which it is which it is it's like, what, what the fuck do you want delivered. from me, mate? It's, yeah. it's just beautifully delivered. Um, also in this movie, we, we mentioned a, a bunch of roles there. Uh, Garrett Dillahunt is in this movie. Is he uh, the, the other sheriff? Yes. Yes. Um, sci-fi fans will know him as uh, the Terminator from Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles and... Obviously, the remake of Last House on the Left and a whole bunch of I stuff. I honestly thought he was Peter Krause. <laughs> Bet he gets that a lot. Loved, yeah, you in Ar- loved you in Army of the Dead, Mr. Krause. Huh? Yeah. 
Asshole. Lost Room was great. When's it getting a second series? Yes. Well, Garrett, Garrett Dillon actually auditioned for the Llewellyn Moss role several times. All right. And um, Heath Ledger was also sought for Llewellyn Moss as well. But he decided yeah, but... to go on and become the Joker instead. Well, I, I don't think he regretted that. Um, no. But no, uh, Josh Brolin nails it. Because he, he, yet again, it's very understated. He's an ex-combat veteran. So nothing that he does is kind of, you know that he's been under fire before and all that terror is kind of, that's taken out of him. He also nailed his audition uh, for that role with help from Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez while on the sets of Planet Terror, the grindhouse. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot he was in that. Uh, apparently, uh, he got word that he could audition for this movie, and he asked Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez to help him with his audition video, and uh, they did. And he ended up getting the job from his little uh, audition reel. What's the so, name of the uh, the woman that's in it? Because she, it took me a while to to work out that she was the girl from Train Spotting. Kelly McDonald. Kelly McDonald. That's it. Yeah. Ab- Small in an part, absolutely but... fabulous role. She really yeah. worked. Um, I mean, it's it's a great ensemble cast, and totally. you know the writing is amazing, and you've really got to credit Carmack McCarthy for that, because all of the dialogue is exactly as it is in the book. So right. the the Coens really did. I mean, there's some scenes that are obviously excised from the book. <laughs> all of the all of the dialogue is lifted verbatim from the book, and. Okay. It really works for it. This was also, uh, it, it won a whole slew of Oscars. Uh, Javier Bardem also uh, broke the record. He was the first Spanish actor to ever win an Oscar. Well, hijo de now, puta. The movie, uh, $25 million budget, went on to make $171 million. It was a raging success story. And not only that, nominated for 109 awards... Won 76 of them. And uh, I will also state that this is one of only four Westerns to win Best Picture. Oh, okay. So uh, I'm going to say True Grit. Nope. The Searchers. Nope. High Noon. No. My God. Unforgiven. Unforgiven is what? Silverado. Um, wrong. Are you just going to um, go through any Western that you have seen the most of? Lightning Jack. Movies. No, definitely not Lightning Jack. Okay, well, you had one for Unforgiven. Uh, the others would be Dances with Wolves, of course. Okay. And uh, Simran was the other one. That was the cartoon, it's wasn't it? it? It's in the box. No. You're thinking uh, Spirit Stallion of the Simran. So I guess okay. it had Simran in the title. Um. I'm going to go on a limb here. This is probably the best film of the Coen brothers. That's a high praise. And, and I love Miller's uh, Crossing, and I yeah. love Barton Pink, and I love Lebowski. But this is one I will watch again and again and again and learn new things from it. It's been voted, uh, it was the best film of the 2000s. It is also riding incredibly high as the best film of the 21st century. Oh, Wow. Now that is that is a high bar. That is a high bar, but it is on a lot of leading polls for that. Um, obviously, if if you haven't seen this movie, it's worth it for Javier Bardem. Oh, yeah. It's worth it for that beautiful cinematography 
of Roger Deakins, which we haven't even mentioned, but it deserves it right up there. Uh, your ensemble cast, Kelly McDonald, Tommy Lee Jones, everyone plays it perfectly in this movie. Uh, I love it. It's one of my favourites. Not a wasted casting at all. Fantastic film. Um, I'm not sure I will agree with you that it's the best. Definitely up there. Um, I'm, no, I'm a, I, I, I am... I am a little bit predictable. I do prefer Big Lebowski. I think that's hard to do, hard to beat. Is and I've that also got because you are a registered dudist. Dudist. I am. I am a registered dudist minister. Uh, may your rug always tie the room together. Um, yes. No, I, I genuinely am. I went online and you can look up. You can look up dudism. Someone has made the Church of the Latter Day Dude. And, and I signed up, and and it's just like a five minute form, and you go there, you go, you got a certificate at the end of it. It's like you can now register and perform marriages somewhere like in, in Montana or some shit like that. I don't know. It's great. <laughs> if you if you want any discount weddings done in Las Vegas and you don't want to be married by Elvis, come see me. I'm the I'll do it for you. Uh, but yeah, no, I thought it was a great film. I really, really did, and. Uh, yeah, it, it gave me the push to actually watch it, even though I was going to watch it eventually, but it gave me the push to actually properly. And that is the first What's in the Box of Season 6, and a great way to start. Can it be beaten? Totally. We'll find out at the end of the show. But for now, it's time for Andy to pull out some anniversaries. Watch them again all of the time, or we get them on Prime for free. We only know how old they are when we learn their anniversary. Ah, yes. Anniversaries. Where would we be without celebrating movies of the past? We'll probably be on the picket lines. So, let's have a look at what we have on our anniversary section. Uh, as it's a special one, and it's our return, I have four. Okay. So what is the first one? I will go back 40 years, Steve. Okay. Can you believe, Steve? 40 years ago this week, National Lampoon's Vacation was released. Okay. Uh, not my favourite out of the vacation films, controversially. And yes. it's directed by Harold Ramis? I know it's directed by Harold Ramis. I, I know he, the, the script is based on a uh, an, an article or something that he he wrote. I think it was him that wrote the it, National or someone wrote it for National Lampoon magazine, and then it was expanded into a movie. Yes, it was. Um, for those of you yeah. who uh, recognise the name Harold Ramis, obviously you'll know him as Egon from Ghostbusters, also a writer of Ghostbusters, also uh, the director of Groundhog Day. Yeah. Uh, he played uh, Russell in Stripes and was the writer of Stripes as well. And he was Seth Rogen's dad in Knocked Up. There you yeah. go. I haven't so seen Knocked Up, but that makes a lot of sense, funnily enough. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's a good movie. It's in the box. Yeah. Um, obviously, this was the introduction of the Griswold families, Chevy Chase, with Beverly D'Angelo, and an ever-changing slew of Rusty and Audrey's that seem to change every <laughs> single movie. Well, one minute it's Anthony Michael Hall and Juliet Lewis. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I think Juliet Lewis was in Christmas Vacation, and it was um, whatever his name is that went on to play uh, Leonard in uh, Big Bang Theory. Yes, that would be right. Uh, and this one, it's uh, Anthony Michael Hall. Before his yes. days of weird science and the Breakfast Club, he plays Rusty. Uh, I would say there's a very telling sign that there was reshoots on this movie months later because he suddenly grows <laughs> above his own mother in the movie, Beverly D'Angelo, uh, in the Wally World ending. And I, we, we know the reason why. Um, the original ending had the family drive to Roy Wally's house and take him hostage, something they used in Christmas Vacation okay, that makes sense. Uh, about seven years later. Instead, they um, just took John Candy hostage instead. <laughs> yes. Well, apparently, the test audiences did not like this kind of dark ending. I guess uh, hostage-taking wasn't very big in uh, 1983, <sighs> until the Delta Force, I guess. So, yes, it resulted in a reshoot with John Candy showing up um, for a $1 million payday. <laughs> wow. Well, what do you get to do? Oh, I get to go on some roller coasters. And uh, how much are you getting paid? A million dollars. Shit, man. Yes. Obviously, uh, the story it's is It's a good about, gig. Uh, don't take up that Nanook of the North script, whatever you do. Oh, God. Yeah, please don't. Um, but, yes, I mean, this is the story of the Griswold family's perilous trip, um across the United States to Wally World on vacation, fraught with disasters, fraught with plenty of zany characters like mm-hmm. Randy Quaid, playing a person who is much more appealing than the real Randy Quaid. <laughs> the, the least said about that, really, the better, because Randy Quaid, at some point in life, did actually turn into Cousin Eddie, didn't he? <laughs> into a weird Twilight yeah. Zone version of Curtis and Eddie. Um, and, his by played, and his daughter in this movie was played by a, a very young Jane Krakowski. Did you know Harold Ramis is actually in this movie? And no, it's not Eugene Levy. He is there at the beginning. Yeah, I know Eugene Levy is. Um, well, where does he show up? Is he like a voiceover or something? Take like a guess. Telephone? Oh, God, it's been so bloody long since I've seen it. Is he like the, the voice of the, the Wally World speaker? He is the voice of Marty Moose on the speaker yes. at the end. Good guess. Yeah. So, just, I, mean, I don't remember actually seeing him, so he's the only other place he could possibly have been. <laughs> well, for 1983, it's a modest budget of $15 million. It did go on to make $60 million, So it was a hit. And uh, I think this was actually pitched to a number of places, because obviously this was following on from... Um, National Lampoon's movies like Animal House. I mean, oh, Caddyshack yeah. started out as a uh, National Lampoon's movie also, but he ended up going separately with that. And it was Mark Canton, a name we know from uh, Warner Brothers history, from uh, Bill Daly's mention of Mark Canton yes. over the years. Uh, he actually pulled for this movie at Warner Brothers and actually got it into production. Wally World, it's no secret. It's supposed to it's be, supposed Disney to be Land. Disneyland. Yes. <laughs> yes. Even Roy Wally looks like Roy Disney. For God's sake, they couldn't have made it any any bigger. Even Marty Moose is a double M. Like, like Mickey Mouse. I suppose it, it, it was about as subtle as a woke recasting. Yes. 
I can definitely tell you that it is not Disneyland because I've been there and it looks absolutely nothing like it whatsoever. There's no kind of tunnel that you go into. No, that's the Santa Anita racetrack. Yeah. Uh, The actual park was Six Flags in California. All right. Now, I always preferred, this is going to sound sacrilegious, but I always preferred European vacation to vacation. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, though, out of all of them, Christmas Vacation is the, the that's that's the best one. But yeah, yeah everyone's two, got the look for Christmas Vacation. It, it's three films that you need to celebrate Christmas: Christmas Vacation, Scrooged, and Die Hard. No yeah, more Christmas Carol. Yeah, kids are up, really. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of National Lampoon's Vacation. <laughs> I do love it. It was a it was a major part of my growing up. And uh, one day in my life, I am going to take that entire trek <laughs> that they did. Across the USA. Oh, yes. That song will certainly get tiresome if we played that all the way through. Yeah. It was the, the, other, the other song as well. Um, Holiday Road, that's it. Oh, yes. Yeah. The, the anthem of the Griswold family yeah. vacation. That always kind of confused me because I didn't know who Fleetwood Mac were when I first saw the film. And I, I remember seeing, oh, this song's by Lindsay Buckingham. And I was there thinking, but it's sung by a bloke. Isn't and that the always... guy of Saturday Night Live who does the uh, What's Up With That scene? Shows no. up for everyone. No, Lindsay Buckingham was uh, one of the members of Fleetwood Mac who's got a girl's name but is a guy. And then you've got Stevie Nicks who's got a man's name but is a girl. And the two were in a relationship with each other and they wrote most of those songs. And most of the songs that they write is about how they hate each other. <laughs> so you you listen to like rumors. Most of it is kind of like you're a bitch, you're a dick, you're a bitch, you're a dick, and it's just on and on and on. Great songs though. Love a little <laughs> bit of Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> we get the music trivia for you on this show. Yeah, just in case you didn't know. But yes, uh, National Lampoon's Vacation, forty years old this week. Okay, well, that makes me feel not quite as old as I usually am when you pull out the 40s, but what do we have next, which I'm guessing is going to be from 30 years? Yes, 30 years ago this week. Uh, Okay, I'm going to reach for this one because I don't know if you've seen this one or not, so this is the wild card, I guess. 30 years ago this week, a movie called Rising Sun was released. Wait, is that the Sean Connery one? Sean Connery and Wesley Snipes. I have seen it, but it has been so long ago, I can barely remember anything about it. All I know oh. is that uh, Sean Connery is like a Japanese expert, and I think there's the stuff with the Yakuza involved in Los Angeles or somewhere like that over in America, and it's a it's a cultural clash thing where Connery's going, no, you need to understand this about the Japanese. Yes. Wesley Snipes all like, what What the fuck do you want from me? Yeah, that's that's actually the entire plot of the movie. Yeah, there we um, go. right. So, well, 20 years. <laughs> 30, actually. Uh, 30 years, uh, Rising Sun. It was directed by Philip Kaufman. Uh, Philip Kaufman uh, directed the fantastic movie The Right Stuff in uh, mm-hmm. 1983, I believe it was. Right. Uh, also, The Unbearable Lightness of Being. Uh, also, the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Leonard Nimoy with no glowing rock. Is that the same one that had uh, Donald Sutherland in it? Yes. Yes! Oh, brilliant, that one. It is brilliant. And uh, also, uh, one for you, Steve. Philip Kaufman was also the writer of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Hmm. Yes, yes, he was. A story yeah. by George Lucas, written by Philip Kaufman. Yes. 
There you go. Um, this was obviously based on the Michael Crichton book. Michael Crichton was all over Hollywood around this time. This is when they were really going after all the authors. So you had Tom Clancy, you had uh, John Grisham, Stephen King, and of course, Michael Crichton, yes, Jurassic Park, everything else. Um, the, the big thing about this is uh, I had read the book. I read the book before the movie came out and then went to see the movie. And no, such a fucking intellectual back in the day. Um, there was a, a bit of a to do here because they changed the murderer from the book. Okay, I can't remember who the murderer was in the film, so do enlighten us. Well, no, well we're not going to reveal anything here, so people might want to see this. We don't do spoilers. It's 30 years um, forgotten. All right, fine. Yeah, okay. So, well, basically. There was a lot of changes done from the actual book. The book is a hell of a lot better. Uh, Michael Crichton and um, his writer ended up leaving this project, and it was due to the changes, um, especially changing uh, the character that goes on to become Wesley Snipes was originally a white character. And Michael Crichton thought, that, hang on, this story is talking about you know, how the racial differences between white people and the Japanese, and now you've brought a black person into it and added a completely new dynamic here, which has diluted that main storyline and everything else, which was a good point. If you've read the book, it is a good point. And especially when the, the Wesley Snipes angle is added an extra bit here when Wesley Snipes decides, oh, we're, we're getting tailed by these, we'll call them Yakuza or Japanese hoods or whatever. Oh, we're going to take them into a black ghetto neighborhood where they're going to get jacked by a lot of black gang members. And it was like, yeah. Okay. That's a bit wrong. Oh, Philip Kaufman also did The Wanderers. Uh, yeah, I wasn't a fan of that, which you can find out in this episode here. I guess. I can't remember which one it was off the top of my head. That one. But if you've seen The Wanderers, obviously you had um, the character that was played by Tony Ganios. You know, leave the kid alone. You know, chewing his toothpick guy. You know, the big muscle that was in The Wanderers. But um, funnily enough, that actor, Tony Garrius, actually shows up in Rising Sun as kind of a doorman to a club, chewing the exact same toothpick. And uh, yeah. when interviewed about it, Tony Garrio says, yeah, it's the same character. And it's like, how can it be the same character? That guy was set in the 1950s, and this guy's in 1993, and he looks exactly the same age. <laughs> how can it be the same character, Tony? Tell us. I, uh, time travel? and Well, it's Michael Crichton. It is. Um, yeah. He'd know. Um, speaking of which, uh, Rising Sun, obviously being 1993, it was released... The same year as Jurassic Park in the cinemas. Which you said that Rising Sun was better in book form than it was in movie form. I'm going to argue yes. that the, the book of Jurassic Park, while not as suspenseful, and I think it is an exceptional movie, I honestly think the book has just way more depth to it than the film does. You should stick yeah. to kind of like writing and directing like it did with Westworld. This movie, obviously, this was around that time when... Every movie seemed to feature both Harvey Keitel and Steve Buscemi together. Okay, I find <laughs> nothing to object to that way. There's a fantastic score uh, in this movie by Toru Takamitsu. Uh, if you like your Asian-themed uh, soundtracks, uh, you should like this. Oh, and there's one for you, Steve. Okay. 
You're laughing. Oh, I don't like it when you start laughing. Do you remember many episodes ago we were talking about you'd always have like random little Japanese actors in there. You'd always know their face, but never know. Like Al Leong and Gerald Lockenberry. Yes. And you mentioned Clyde Kasatsu in one. Wait, who was it? And I said, one day we're going to come across a film that has him in, and I'm just going to shout his name out. Okay, yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I don't remember that at all. Oh my god. Is the Alzheimer's creeping in? Yeah. Um, Those who know Philip Calvin, everyone knows that his movies usually are exceptionally long. So he would always uh, deliver a movie two and a half hours long to three hours long in a lot of cases. Uh, this was one of the first times I ever remembered that he was contractually obligated by 20th Century Fox to deliver a two-hour movie, and he still delivered uh, two hours and 11 minutes, for those who can't do the math. Yes, there are plenty of uh, kind of Japanese racial stereotypes in there that when you watch it now, it's just like, hmm. I mean, it starts off with Shang Tsung singing karaoke, for God's sake. Yes. Flawless victory. Yes. Kerry Takawa. Uh, you also, oh, I, f- I forgot to mention uh, Tia Carrera's in this movie as well. Oh, is she? Yes. Right. Yeah, it just goes to prove how long he's been since I've seen it. I don't remember a bloody thing. Yeah. Uh, you also got people like uh, Ray Wise in there. Uh, there's, there's a really good cast. And uh, th- there is nothing better than seeing Sean Connery shout Japanese to Japanese people. In his Scottish accent. He knows how to speak Japanese. He's all that time over there flogging whiskey. <laughs> That's very true. Yes. <laughs> we all saw you only live twice. Yes. <sighs> but yes. Domo um, yes. Rising Sun, I mean, it's, it's not a critically acclaimed movie. It's a kind of film that's just kind of been forgotten about nowadays. I saw it on a, a combined... I know we mentioned this uh, just recently where we talked about DVD sets that would have uh, three movies. You know, one was essential, one was all right, yeah. and then one's a movie you've never heard about. Um, the lead-in movie for this box set was Marked for Death. Ooh. Steven Seagal. Rising Sun was the Ooh. second movie. And then Unlawful Entry was the third movie. The third movie was I've the third movie. I've seen that porno. <laughs> Unlawful entry in her rising sun left me marked for dead. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a flawed movie, um, but it's, you know, it's worth checking out. I think it's on Disney Plus nowadays, not to promote Disney Plus, but um, if you wanted to check it out, that's where you'll find it being an old Fox movie. Okay. Right, well, in that case, that is two down. What do we have? And I'm guessing this is going to be from 20 years ago, yes? 20 years ago, correct? You're getting the yes. format, finally, after oh, six good. seasons. Only took me okay. 87 episodes. 20 years ago. We're once again revisiting uh, that time when American Pie The Wedding was released. Okay, I've, I've actually got quite a soft spot for this film. I don't know why. Um, and the thing is, the thing is with the American Pie films, they, when they were released, I was in the exact perfect age bracket for them. I'm going to say this to you. Personally, none of those films are good. 
Yeah. No, no, it's, I didn't. I didn't say they were actually good. I was just saying they came out at the right time. Yeah, you know the the, the testosterone team years, I guess, early twenties and stuff like that. Uh, American Wedding, the third American Pie movie out of fifty of them, I guess. Now uh, was directed by Jesse Dillon. Uh, Jesse Dillon since uh, went on to do a Will Ferrell movie called King and Screaming. Uh, he also did the Method Man and Red Man movie, How High, which has kind of got a cult status about it. Um, mainly did a lot of music videos. So he did music videos for Will I Am, including the Yes We Can video. More people will probably not know that uh, Jesse Dillon is actually Bob Dylan's son. Really? Yes. Oh, I would really? never have put Bob Dylan's son down for directing an American Pie movie, but hey. Dad, I've got a gig directing a film. Yeah, but give me. Sorry? Do you need a cover of American Pie? Mm. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> As we sail into the mystic, that was Van Morrison. I don't care, it's mine now. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I quite like this. And <laughs> Sorry to any Bob Dylan fans. No fucking me's a whiner. Um, no, I, I I actually have a soft spot for this movie simply because that it's it's like a wedding that we all want to have, but nobody can afford at all. No, think about it. it. It's in a country house somewhere by the sea. It's lovely weather. You know, everything's all kind of like drapes and big floral displays and all that. And you think, yeah, this would be nice. This would be the kind of wedding you get to like have your mates stay over and then everyone gets hammered and everyone has a great time. Yeah, yes. less so the And you don't have to the, invite half your mates as well. No. Because half of them didn't come back. So you've got no Chris Klein. You've got no Mina Savari. You've got no, no Tara Reid. You've no. got no Natasha Leon. You've got no Shannon Elizabeth. How can you not have Shannon Elizabeth in you that You basically just have Eugene Levy. That's it. No, yeah. No, the Shermanator doesn't even show up in this no. movie. <laughs> but yeah, none of them really came back until American Pie The Reunion. Yeah, true. Um, well, at least he, he coughed off with Shannon Elizabeth. I got. Uh, you almost didn't even get Stifler back for this movie. Sean William Scott, he was... Um, I don't think he was too happy with um, American Pie 2. I think he was just kind of like, oh, you know, I don't want to do this, and I want to go and do Dude, Where's My Car? <laughs> and whatever movies, and i got to go and do a movie with The Rock as well. Um, but he had a lot of disinterest following American Pie 2. Uh, but they did coerce him into coming back. I'm guessing he got a main payday. And to be honest, the movie is more about him than anything else. Yeah. He is the main character in this. He has... Obviously, that great disco dance-off scene, which I think is the main point uh, of this movie, exists just for that. Um, and speaking of which, that it took me ages after seeing this film to work out where I knew the other fella from. And it turned out that he played Thor in the Incredible Hulk-Thor crossover um, TV movie. Oh, my God! Yes! Really? With, with the whole kind of... With, it's basically, let me get this. It, it's like that. <laughs> I am oh, Thor, man. God of Thunder. <laughs> I've always wondered why that was behind you. Now I know. You've built up to that. It's a lambskin. It's a lambskin that my, uh, my partner got for reasons. I don't bloody know. But yeah, there it is. But yeah, that was him. 
That's, that's him. Um, he didn't wear assless chaps when he did uh, when he did the Hulk, but <laughs> that's how the Hulk prefers to get done. <laughs> but um, yeah. Hulk smash! This is the point I think where it became a Sean William Scott vehicle, and probably rightfully so mm. because without him in this movie, it would have sucked. No matter how yeah. much I adore Alison Hannigan. And Eugene Levy, I guess. Uh, I wouldn't have watched it any other way. Um, and it was a box office success. You know, it made something like $231 million worldwide. Ooh, um, out of all of the American Pie films, excluding the director DVD ones like yeah, yeah. Bandcamp, Naked Mile, whatever the other ones are. Uh, this is actually the lowest grossing film in the franchise. Uh, I'm going to guess that the second one's probably the highest. I'd say so. They usually are. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, opener. it might be... I'd put that down to no Shannon Elizabeth because she was the standout star at the time. But, boy, her career really went, like, flatlined after... I can't remember what movie it was. It might have been not another teen movie for all I know. I don't actually, I don't actually think many of them had strong careers after that. I think Sean William Scott was the one that got off the lightest, but even he kind of disappeared off the radar for years, right up until he had to take over from, uh, what's his name, Crawford? Kane Crawford? Who, who was in the Lethal Weapon TV series. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, and then he That's took over the... It, it wasn't the Riggs part, but he was kind of like the the, the foil to Murtaugh. I hadn't seen him in anything for years up until that point, and ever since then, now he's just disappeared back up into the ether. I had no idea what he's doing at the moment. Well, no, he was in The Goon and its sequel. He was in The Rundown with The Rock, or Welcome to the Jungle, as it was known here in the UK. So he still did have roles, and he was in Role Models as well with um, Paul Rudd. Yeah, so quite he like was still getting roles, but not at the level. Um, Natasha Leon has only just had her huge combat with Russian Doll. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tara Reid is, you know, now China charges shitloads of money, so we'll interview her for a thing. <laughs> Sorry, Tara, that's a no. Go back to Sharknado. Um, <laughs> Mina, Mina Suvari, um, unfortunately, I mean, she was incredible uh, in stuff like uh, American Beauty. She did a great movie for a friend of mine, Stuart Gordon, the late Stuart Gordon, called Stuck which is a brilliant movie. Um, but unfortunately, you know, she hasn't, you know, lasted on top. Shannon Elizabeth now more into her equestrian stuff. Mm. And Chris Klein, well, we've just got to say two words, about rollerball. And uh, let's also talk about that role in Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li. Or better luck. Let's not. Let's not. No. <sighs> I'm, I'm not a fan of the American Pie franchise. As much as I wasn't a fan of the Porky's franchises either. That doesn't make me like a, a stiff or anything. No pun intended. Um, just the kind of jokes in this one are just kind of relegated to eating a dog shit truffle or pubic yeah, hairs on a wedding cake or that scene where Stifler bangs a geriatric granny in a cupboard. Yeah, they they really were kind of like the lower end of it. But they were never highbrow cinema anyway to begin with. They, no. they they were aimed at frat bros. And, and that soon made it a hit. Yeah, 
It, it worked. You know, they, they made the movies. They got the money. They made a few people famous for a short amount of time. Yeah, they did their job. That's they did. pretty much all you can really say about them. Yeah. Okay, well, we've got to kind of uh, whittle it down to 10 years now for our last one. Yeah. And what is it? 10 years ago, the movie Two Guns was released. No, you're right. I haven't seen it. Of course you haven't. Uh, this was the. Hey, I've done well we... this week. Thank you. You have. You've got three down. Yeah. See, if I'd have stuck to three, you would have won this week. Um, so I threw in the wild card that was Two Guns. Uh, the movie that was the uh, throwback to the Buddy Buddy formula starring Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, Two Guns uh, claims it was a throwback, but it was unmemorable. Wasn't exactly 48 hours, wasn't exactly a lethal weapon, or wasn't e- wasn't even Red Heat, you know, which are they're the ones I throw out for my Buddy Buddy movies. Uh, it was directed by, uh, let's see if I get this name right, Balthazar... Comacor. Bum, bum, bum. Got it right. Um, directed a, a lot of uh, foreign cinema. You may have seen Jar City, Trapped, uh, Happy He's an Icelandic director. Do I so, look like I've seen any of those films? No. May have seen. Not at all. I have not seen um, them, you know this. It is a comic book movie, kind of loosely based. It also has a kind of little nod to a Walter Matthau film called Charlie Varick, which is very good. Uh, I know a lot of people might not have seen it. Uh, it's from the early 70s. It's worth checking out. Uh, what, what was interesting about this is um, it's kind of that tonal shift because this was um, not like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but this was, I think, kind of originally envisioned as a comedy buddy movie because originally supposed to be in these roles were Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson. Like okay. we fucking needed that pairing again. Wow. <laughs> We get it. You did one funny movie, Wedding Crashes, and then that's it. And funny was pushing it. Um, and it is a buddy movie. It's just kind of forgettable. I've already forgotten most of it, and I saw it last week. I've forgotten everything that you've told me up until now. Uh, uh, if I was going to pick noticeable stuff from this, I mean, this was the last movie to have Fred Ward in it. Ah. Uh, really? Yes. When did he Which was shocking, actually. Years later. But this was the last movie he was in. So he obviously took um, his time away from acting following this movie. Uh, which says a lot. Was this round about the time that he got caught, um, shall we say, interfering with himself in public? No, legal might be on this. <laughs> because if it's sorry, right sorry, person, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no, I'm getting uh, mixed up with Fred Willard. Sorry. Wrong Fred. <laughs> Wrong Fred. To the best of my knowledge, no, Fred Ward did not pleasure himself at a bus stop. He would have gone to the cinema like the rest of us. Yes. Um, but no, this was the last movie of the great, great Fred Ward uh, of Southern Comfort and Tremors. Tremors. And uh, yeah. Remo Williams and all those great movies. Tremors 2. Oh, uh, yeah, he was in Tremors 2 as well. Naked Gun 33 and a third. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, it's also kind of got a decent score as well. Uh, Clinton Shorter did that. Um, despite it being forgettable, I mean, it was a box office success. Um, 61 million budget, and it made 131 million. So it made its money back and more. Okay. Okay. Um, 
but it was just so average. It was just missing something. Uh, and I think it's because the last great buddy movie I saw before that was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And you just can't beat that dialogue. <laughs> you cannot beat the Shane Black dialogue no. uh, in a movie like that until the nice guys came along, I guess. But yes, um, Two Guns, um, it exists as a movie. Uh, didn't exactly change the world. It'll, it'll easily pass two hours by and uh, you'll be entertained. But you just won't remember much about it afterwards. Okay, so that was uh, three really good films. So next time that you are looking for something to watch, then just go for the three films that Andy has made. You're completely missing the fact that I've completely forgotten what the fourth one was. Two guns. You see, you see that was the whole joke. Yeah. I oh, God. Never I mind. Let's, let's just go straight to finding out what's in the box. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? Well, we know for a fact it's not going to be that long before you get the feedback uh, from what's in the box this time. No. <laughs> these are Steve's exclusive shows now. This is it. The, his role in life is to watch movies and talk about them. <laughs> Speaking of which, Andy uh, is going to pull out the name of a movie from a box which he certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. And if I haven't seen it, then I go away and watch it the day before we record our next episode. But if I have seen it, then we keep pulling out names until we find one that I haven't. Um, Saying that, though, all these are good films. I recently found out that Pluto.tv exists, which is a uh, free streaming service, which is available here in the UK. <laughs> for good and reason. For good reason. And it's, <laughs> from what I gather, it's kind of like Tubi, but we don't get Tubi over here. Um, and it's, it's movies and TV shows with adverts, so you don't need to sign up or anything. But I was just having a flick through the movies. Oh, my God. <laughs> It is just a smorgasbord of B-movie shit, and I am in heaven. There's, there's an entire section of Shark Attack films, and oh, I, I was watching this going, oh my god, I've stumbled across the Holy Grail. Oh, I cannot wait to start watching this shit. <laughs> you wait until you reach the movie Shark Attack 3 with this amazing chat-up line. You can insert it here. Uh, so basically, a, a police, these guys, uh, this man and this woman, like fit guy, fit, fit woman, and they're just chatting. And they end the line off by just saying, uh, Wow, it's been a really long day. How about I take you home and eat your pussy? <laughs> you can find that clip on YouTube and trust me, just slide it in there, so to speak. That's what your mother said. <laughs> well, um, I've decided um, because me and another person were kind of describing now the fact that you're only doing two shows a month. Don't don't start screwing with the formula, bro. I'm not screwing with the formula. I'm just amending it a little bit because we like to keep things fresh. But oh God, what fresh. are you doing? What are you doing? Um, I don't know anything about this. No, this is uh, this is fresh on you. Um, so we decided, you know what? Seeing as though now he has like two weeks before he has to come back, 
Giving him one film really isn't fair. Oh, so no. we decided, we you know what? time to do two. What are you doing to me? We will. Um, so now you're going to have two drawers. One for each week, and you're going to report on both of those movies when your episode comes up next. And uh, this was kind of half my idea, and the other person said, yeah, get him to fucking do it. Get him doing this was work. Jonas, wasn't it? I'm not saying who, I promised I wouldn't. Jonas, you bitch. <laughs> uh, Jonas, Go I on. didn't even say your name. I'm just putting that out there. No, but this is the kind of evil thing that you would do. Both oh, of you, oh, I can picture it. Joanne, she's too nice to do this. Oh, you think so? Well, you'll never know. <laughs> so yes, now you're getting two. So, now that we've explained the rules, can we have the music, please? Ding, ding, ding. All right. I'm going oh, to lodge a formal protest with the union. You know this, don't you? Oh, shit. Well, for number one, we have. <sighs> this, is, this is ironic, actually. Um, but being a Coen Brothers fan, you've probably seen it. So, we had a Coen Brothers film come out as the number one. Yeah. Which Raising Arizona. Ah, oh, yes! But I've got to be honest, it has been so long, I can't really remember much of it. I do remember that I really enjoyed it, and Randall Tex Cobb was just a fucking hilarious book. Well, too bad you've seen it. it. Yeah, shit. So, you don't get that one? No. Okay. Let's do number two. No, just one, thank you. Okay. Ooh, you so nearly out of 2007. But you just missed it by a year, so we're going back to 2006. Uh, I don't think you've seen this one, because it's very indie. So, uh, it's a movie starring Maggie Gyllenhaal. It's called Sherry Baby. No. no okay. That's your first one? I shouldn't have said anything and just rewatched Raising Arizona, really, shouldn't I? No, you've got to be honest. Honesty is key on this show. We will not lie. Will we, yeah, Fred okay. Ward? <laughs> okay. Are you ready? So your no. second movie. do 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 Oh, okay. The year... 2000. Yeah. The movie... stars Michael Douglas... and it's called... Wonder Boys. No, is that the one with... um, Tobey Maguire in it? Yes, and Robert Downey Jr. Yes, oh... Oh, good night. Francis oh. McDormand, who's married to one of to the Coen one of the Cohen brothers. I think he's is it Ethan Cohen? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And a side note actually, <coughs> uh, the Cohen brothers were very very, very close friends with um uh, Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and they originally wanted uh, Francis McDormand to be in Evil Dead. But I think she had she was off doing some other work and she couldn't be in there. I think they wanted her to be Cheryl. Yes. Holly Hunter was also a, a close friend of that group as well at the time. Yep. And uh, I think it was Ethan Cohen also was one of the, the editors on the original Evil Dead. Yes. So there you go. Okay, so you've got uh, Sherry no, Baby and, and Wonder, Wonder Boys. Wonder Boy! What is the secret of your power? Wonder Boy! 
this is great because uh, we haven't heard for a while what Amanda has thought of these films that you've been watching. So these are two films that she'd probably enjoy too. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, seems as though Andy has completely changed the rules on me. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> uh, we will be getting into the nitty gritty on those two films next time you see me but between now and then we will be introducing Joe Parker on her first episode deep delving into the joy and I'm going to keep doing these inverted commas for as long as it takes because the movie the oh my god the bat is the joy of Batman and Robin. That is coming next week with uh, Bill Daly, our old friend Bill Daly, who we're very, very glad to see back, actually, because it's been... When was the last time that we had Bill on? It was a fair game episode. It was fair game, which for some reason is the highest is the highest um, viewed episode that we've done so far. I don't know why. You guys love fair game. It's the shot of Cindy Crawford, I'm sure it is. Maybe it is. Maybe we'll have to put the bad cod piece on the next image, see if it yeah. gets better. But yes, um, it was a great episode. We, we've actually recorded that one already. Yes. Um, that will be available next week. Uh, and I will state again, as I said at the beginning of the show, I was dreadfully ill during that you episode. You were awful. You really were. You were close to death. Uh, yeah, I, I can honestly say I've never felt that bad in my life, um, including when I had COVID. Um, and there was various points where I was literally just like leaning up against my microphone because I just w was trying so hard. My I slurred through my words so many times. Um, but it you was slurring um, worms. Slurring my worms. But um, we got through it, and it's a fun episode. And you know, it was Joe's fault because she said that was uh, like the crown jewel of her bad DVD collection. So far, well, it's a timely thing now with the whole Batman thing and the, the whole death of superhero movies that is on the horizon. We thought, why don't we go back to the last time that happened? It's inevitable. It is going to happen. I know loads of you out there love Marvel and DC, but it, we've, we've reached the tipping point now. Nobody's, nobody's been interested in Phase 4. You know, everything between Endgame and Quantumania, no one's given a shit about. Let's be perfectly honest. Shang-Chi was drivel. Eternals was drivel. Spider-Man was all right. Just no one cared about the rest of it. They were just going, oh, look, it's Doc Ock and the old Spider-Mans. Oh, yeah. The rest of it, awful. Yeah, the, the problem is it's being written by people with no real life experience. And no. I don't think any experience of how a conversation really actually flows. If that had a real writer, these movies would have a chance. But they mm -hmm. don't. The, the people who write this shit might be AI. But anyway, yes, superhero movies aside. Meh. We've got a lot coming up this series. We've got two new presenters, like I said at the top. We've got Joe and we've got Jonas. Both are going to be coming to us with completely fresh viewpoints and, and new different tastes. And you are going to absolutely love them. So just stay tuned here on YouTube. Uh, and if you want to discuss with us anything that you have heard throughout this episode, then you know where to go. You can go to facebook.com forward slash Pottywood. You can go to x 
dot com forward slash what the hell are you doing elon x dot com seriously so it, it, there is a game called xcom you know this x dot com oh i retweeted something oh i re-xed it it doesn't make any sense tweet was already a fucking verb You've ruined it. You've taken a country, a, 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 corporate, a corporate entity that everyone was relating to, and you've screwed it up the arse. Well done. Congratulations. Enjoy your ecstasy. Anyway, you can also get us on LinkedIn, uh, the, the, the uh, subreddit. That's, that's gone. That was a victim of the old uh, little subreddit problems from ages ago. Whatever. Out, out of my control. Anyway, that's done. So, yeah. So, right now you can really just get in touch with us on Facebook. That's that's my entire list. Bollocks, really. Well, the good news is we also have the Patreon. And, yes, we do. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of in discussions now of kind of what exclusive content we could actually push out on the Patreon. Uh, there is the talk of doing a little half-hour... Um, Hollywood After Docs, back in our luxurious jazz bar setting, we hear the doors are ready to open once again, which is good news for us too, because we were the only two fucking people that went to that bar. Yeah. <laughs> so, we were uh, the only two that listened to it as well. <laughs> this is true. But come join us. It's fun. Yes. Um, and we, we may have people just dropping in and out here and there. Um, so the Patreon really helps us. Price of a cup of coffee... You know, it helps us pay to reach wider audiences. And speaking of wider audiences, we need your subscriptions. Uh, we're steadily growing. I notice the numbers are going up. Yes, you all love tuning in and listening to the episodes, but we need you to subscribe so you know when episodes are coming up. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't change your life in nope. any way, but it certainly changes ours. And if you like what you hear, just throw us a subscribe to our channel. Yeah, because I mean, at the moment, you know, as soon as we reach a certain a certain threshold with the uh, the subs, it completely changes the algorithm, which means we get out to more people, which means then we get more subscribers. So we need you to help us by just clicking on that button. Just do it. It does it. It's it's a click. That's all you're doing. What have you got to lose? Absolutely nothing. Yes. Um, but between between all of the good stuff coming up, and right now. Uh, I do want to say that it is really, really good to be back for Series 6. I cannot wait to see what the new bloody is going to be giving us as we're going on. On the new trademarked Partywood show, we got there, finally, says my bank guard. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, join us next week. Uh, Bill Daly, Batman and Robin, uh, with Joe Parker. It is a great episode. There's a lot of clarification on a lot of stories there. And uh, even a few jokes about bat nipples and uh, bat card pieces and, and everything else you want to know about that production. So with that in mind, I will not be here on the next episode, but Joe will be. And, uh, and so we shall see you all then. You take care. Bye.